As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. So after six weeks away, the Premier League is back and it did not disappoint. And with the January transfer window around the corner, Liverpool have moved quick to snap up one of the World Cup's bright talents from under the noses of Chelsea and Manchester United. I'm Dan Bardell and this is the Athletic Football Podcast. And it's three for Newcastle United. Also got plenty forwards here. Jorah cuts it back in a break to eight. Nuri, who fires the winner for Wolves. Joining me to look back on the Boxing Day action and preview what could be to come in the January transfer window, including Liverpool's move for Cody Gakpo, we have the Athletics' Manchester United writer Laurie Whitwell and the Athletics' Dan Barnes. Laurie, how are you doing? Did you have a good Christmas? I love the Christmas, thanks, Dan. Uh, yeah, with family, uh, drank a fair amount, ate even more uh, and watched some good football yesterday. It's, it's, I'm glad the Premier League's back, though. Missed it. Yeah, it was, it was great to be at Villa Park for, for myself yesterday and enjoyed being back at the Premier League games. I imagine your Christmas may have been tempered a little bit by the news that Cody Gakpo is looking likely to join Liverpool, but we'll come on to that later. And Dan, same question to you. Good festivities? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Lovely. Thanks, Dan. I must say it's the, probably the first time in around about 10 years that I've not been kind of uh, working from an office on Boxing Day. So, yeah, it was nice to sort of have the uh, warm embrace of the Premier League back whilst you uh, tuck into those leftovers. Well, we've got you working today on the 27th and there were 25 goals across the seven games on Boxing Day and it was great entertainment everywhere you look. I enjoyed match of the day last night, except for the obvious, of course. Leaders Arsenal came from behind to win 3-1 against West Ham, Laurie. And Gabriel Jesus is obviously missing, going to be missing for an unknown time frame. But Eddie Nketiah has got the shirt for now. He's going to have the shirt for the next few games at the very least. At the moment, we don't know whether Arsenal will strengthen or not. But he did a good audition to keep that place permanently because that was a well-worked goal and a lovely turn and finish. Yeah, it was beautiful, wasn't it? And I think that's probably the most pleasing thing from Mikel Arteta that Nketiah came in so seamlessly. It's not like he struggled to link up with his teammates. It was very fluid, wasn't it? That uh, sort of front three. And Saka was excellent, wasn't he? Uh, and Martinelli took his goal well as also. But 
Um, I think people would look at that Gabriel Jesus situation and think, okay, this is where Arsenal are perhaps going to get derailed. You know, uh, Man City been there, done it. Okay, they've got the five point lead, but uh, an injury to a centre forward who's as influential as he is, although he hasn't, you know, been scoring at the rate that he started the season at. I think he's so pivotal, isn't he, in that high press and, and kind of getting everybody involved uh, in, in team moves. But Nketiah, you know, did, did the business. And I think he'll probably feel like he, he can do that, right? I mean, he, he finished the season playing for Arsenal last season before Jesus came in and perhaps might have been a bit uh, bruised by the fact they went and signed a proper centre-forward to, to be the number one. Um, but he's actually shown, yeah, straight away, I can do the job. No, no worries. Um, and I, I saw Gabriel Jesus was, was there, wasn't he, sporting some designer stubble. Um, so I don't know if that's uh, as a result. <laughs> he's not going to shave until he's back uh, playing first team football. But um, yeah, for Mikel Arteta's position, I think it was a, a pleasing performance. Because I mean, they, I know they, they fell behind, but they were, they were playing well, even when West Ham took the lead, really. And, and to kind of come back and win quite comfortably in the end, I think is a real good sign for them. Dan, I think obviously Jesus' all-round game is very, very important for, for Arsenal. He maybe hasn't been as potent in goal as perhaps the Arsenal fans and, and Mikel Arteta would like, but he's, there's no doubt that his all-round game is very beneficial to the way Arsenal play. In this interim period, you know, Laurie mentions that they fell behind. Having someone like Enketia, his record at the Emirates is absolutely phenomenal. It's, it's almost like... Is, is he the right kind of player for some of these games at the tight Christmas period, the tight festive period? Because he is an assassin in front of goal. His finishing is very, very good. Yeah, I think having having someone like that who just feels like when the chance comes, you know, he's going to more often than not get that shot on target. You know, it, that sort of, the way of how clinical Nketiah is just feels, you know, Arsenal fans potentially don't need to worry too much. You know, he might not necessarily bring the same sort of amount of kind of link play that Jesus does because he's really sort of transformed the way that Arsenal attack. With the way that that team's uh, playing, I mean, James McNicholas has uh, published a piece on The Athletic talking about Arsenal's attack and really just saying, look, this was, there were a lot of eyes on the fact that this was the first game without Gabriel Jesus, but don't forget about everything else that Arsenal have got. You know, he made notice of the fact that uh, Martin Odegaard didn't go to the World Cup, so he's been fresh, ready to go. Um, and then you obviously add in Bukayo Saka, uh, you add in Gabriel Martinelli, um, there are, and even <laughs> Granit Xhaka is now sort of chipping in with goals as well. That attack is very, very coherent. You know, Arsenal look very, very accomplished. So they may have lost their focal point, but it's only sort of one kind of point of the trident, really. There's still a lot there. So, yeah, I mean, if, if Arsenal can ride out this period, you know, I think that belief at the Emirates is just going to grow and grow. Yeah, and Ketia doesn't seem to mind pressure either. He took that number 14 shirt and he celebrated last night like a certain number 14 as well when the ball hit the back of the net. Laurie, it's nice to see Arsene Wenger back at the Emirates as well for the first time. He got a lovely reception, so that's the last two times he's been at the Emirates now. He's had a great reception from the fans. We won't talk about some of the stuff that went on before, but a hero of modern-day Arsenal, really, and done so much for the club. It was nice to see him back there, sat there watching an Arsenal win. Yeah, it's incredible that it's been so long, right? I mean, you had... I mean, at Manchester United, so Alex Ferguson was in the stands from, from week one after retiring. Um, so it's been quite remarkable that Arsene Wenger has kind of stepped away. But I suppose, as you were alluding to there, you know, it got quite toxic, didn't it, at Arsenal? So whilst he had that fabulous send-off, once he did, you know, finally retire, I think a lot of people felt it was overdue. So I can understand perhaps allowing a little room to breathe. But yeah, nice to see, because he, he, you have to remember the, the things that he gave to Arsenal, the way he transformed that football club. But I think in terms of it being just a, a pure Arsenal moment, then I can understand why the fans were really pleased to see him back. One of the other big games was Leicester nil, Newcastle 3. And Laurie, Newcastle into second now. Genuine Champions League contenders, if not title contenders. Now, as, as the Manchester United writer, 
it's a team coming into in the four there, really looking like they're going to be set for Champions League. That's one of the spaces gone for the teams like Manchester United, Chelsea, Liverpool, who are looking up at the moment, Spurs as well. If Newcastle keep going, that's a massive Premier League story. Yeah, huge. I think everyone expected Newcastle to come good, right? I mean, getting taken over by... Not like uh, this, one though. The, one of the world's richest. Well, exactly, yeah. yeah. I, you think it would be like, you know, I don't know, two, three years or certainly a few transfer windows where they can kind of start to exert that financial muscle. I mean, OK, they've signed... Um, they've signed a lot of players, or at least they've committed a lot of money. I think you know they are one of Europe's top spenders, but it's not felt like they've done it um, extravagantly necessarily. You know, Isaac's the big signing, right? And he's not actually in the team. It was Chris Wood taking the penalty yesterday. Um, and I think the way that Eddie Howe's got them operating, it is sustainable. There might be an injury or two that, that, that affects them. I think if Miguel Almiron uh, picks up a knot, that could be sort of really detrimental to them. But then, you know, Bruno Gramaish is there and, and Joe Linton's playing fabulously as well. Um, he's actually getting better performances out of these players that were already there, um, Eddie Howe. So I think you have to give him credit for that. The goal yesterday, Almiron's goal, I, I still kind of just went wow as I was watching it, which is... That's the level of football, I think, that can get a team into the Champions League. If, you, if you're sort of carving open defences like that, then you kind of feel like, OK, they can do that to, to most teams, really. Yeah, they're in a really good mode. And I kind of it does mean that that, that Champions League race is going to get really squeezed, isn't it? I mean, because you, you kind of look at Liverpool haven't been at their best this season. Tottenham are obviously very erratic. Um, so you kind of think from a Man United point of view, Chelsea, another one that have kind of flattered to deceive a little bit. You kind of think, okay, this is a real opportunity for Eric Ten Hag to get in the top four. But actually, Newcastle sort of standing there and, and looking good reduces the uh, the number of spaces. Yeah, Isak missing yesterday. Callum Wilson was missing yesterday. So mm. Maximin wasn't starting either. You know, that, going into September, that was probably Newcastle's front three. That would have been the, the one that the fans would have said that they wanted to see. But Almiron's on such sensational form. And Joel Linton, Dan. Has there ever been a bigger turnaround in the Premier League than Joel Linton? He's now this all-action, hustle-and-bustle midfielder. He's popping up with goals that he wasn't getting when he was playing centre-forward. I can't remember a player ever reinventing themselves as much as this. And that, that comes down to Eddie Howe and coaching. Yeah, it really does. I have to go back to, so you like this, and I, and I doubt you'll have seen it. There's a viral tweet from Newcastle fans that I always go back to with Joe Linton. Back in his early days when he was a striker where someone, do you know when you kind of do like a poll and you say like for this, retweet for this? And I think it was, would like, would you rather like Joe Linton up front or retweet, would you like a loaf of bread up front? And a loaf of bread won. <laughs> so, you know, and that's kind of between me and a few friends has actually um, come to sort of nicknaming him Hovis. But yeah, um, I mean, talk about like a sort of uh, a sort of <laughs> dereliction of talent when he first came in. I mean, I do believe that there were reports that, you know, in Germany for Hoffenheim, Joe Linton thrived as a midfielder. And then under Steve Bruce at Newcastle was playing as a centre forward and just not looking fit for purpose at all. Eddie Howe's come to Newcastle and straight away identified, look, this guy with his sort of his size, his strength, his running power and his technique should actually be used to sort of win the ball back and then drive forward with it as a sort of box-to-box midfielder. And he's just become <laughs> indispensable for, for Newcastle. And there's an element of kind of like the cult hero, I think, sort of amongst the fan base where he was sort of this kind of lovable, lovable guy who's not quite good enough, but we all like him anyway. And I think over time, like the joke's kind of been turned on its head because he's now a really 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 brilliant player and I think there was some sort of actual kind of genuine outrage but maybe amongst Newcastle fans he didn't make Brazil's World Cup squad Alexander-Arnold looking for Robertson what a ball that is brilliant goal from Liverpool Liverpool went to Villa Park and won 3-1 they've cut the gap to fourth place to just five points chasing Tottenham with a game in hand Dan 
Liverpool, impressive. I think it was there was a game, there was lots of chances in that game. Liverpool were more clinical than Villa, but they're starting to look back to their best now. Even in that Manchester City game with players missing, I thought they looked dangerous at times going forward now. And obviously with the new arrival on the way as well, competition for places in that, in that front three is going to be big. But Liverpool are hunting down the pack now for the top four. Yeah, they definitely are. They definitely are. I mean, it feels this is sort of feels like quite a large um, season of transition for Liverpool in a, in a lot of different ways, and a lot of it can be traced back to the decision to let Sadio Mane move on and join Bayern Munich. Like that attack has had to be completely reconfigured. Um, but there's also, you know, they've had to kind of play in a different way a little bit because of injuries as well. You know, there was no uh, no Diogo Jota, no Roberto Firmino yesterday, so. They do have Darwin Nunez, who I think we'd kind of call a striker, but realistically, his sort of strengths are kind of his kind of pacey running and his sort of drifting in off the left hand side. He's not necessarily the sort of out and out number nine that we all that we all ex- uh, kind of think that maybe he is at first glance. Um, but yeah, despite that, that you know they still they were still clinical on the day at Villa Park and you know they'll be delighted that there's goals for Mohamed Salah um, they'll be delighted to see Trent Alexander-Arnold playing well so yeah yeah, I think it was a very 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 encouraging day for them I mean you're kind of just waiting for Liverpool to, to click into gear um, they, they've had sort of a very poor season in general by their standards but I feel that slowly but surely they're kind of getting used to the changes and I, I, yeah I feel like it's not going to be long before they're really back at their best and yeah I don't think you can discount them from that top four race in any way shape or form yeah they still gave up chances Laurie but I, I think the, the problems are, are still in midfield for, for Liverpool I don't think Fabinho's anywhere near the levels that, that he's at previously even watching him at Villa Park yesterday live I, I just thought he, he looked off the pace but the positive thing for them will be that that back four look look back to its best to me Matip coming in makes a huge difference being next to Van Dijk rather than Gomez and obviously they've got Canate to come back as well but it was Trent Alexander-Arnold and, and Robertson you know Robertson's now got the record for assists from a defender in the Premier League those two look back to doing what they what they do well and I think that will be something that Liverpool can build on. Yeah, for sure. I think Trent Alexander-Arnold has been this kind of lightning rod, hasn't he? The focal point of so much debate, particularly over with the England squad and, and his involvement or lack of under Gareth Southgate. So, And he does have a habit of, you know, spraying passes quite frequently. I think he got into that kind of uh, habit of attempting these passes rather than um, having a kind of a structure behind it and kind of a thought process. And, and But that one yesterday to Robertson oh. was absolutely exquisite. <laughs> I mean, I, d- I don't know if I've seen a better pass this season. I mean, nah. maybe something from Kevin De Bruyne, one of the crosses that he's put in um, in the last few months. But just the kind of, the idea of it, it just wasn't even on my radar as a possibility when that ball's dropping to him. So to then execute it, um, the way he did, and, and then allowing you know Andy Robertson just to hit it first time. I mean, what a goal that was! Yeah. Some some cracking goals. I don't know if that one was better than the Almiron one or not, because I mean that was such a fluid move as well. But they're, they're two instrumental players for Liverpool, aren't they? Robertson and, and Trent Alexander-Arnold. And if they can kind of get motoring again, then they are going to be a force. And as Dan says, I mean they've been in this position before, haven't they, Liverpool? Where it's looked like it's going to be a really difficult thing for them to get into the top four and have managed to do it in that COVID season. But as as he says, I mean, the, the, that, that attack, and we'll perhaps get on to Cody Gakpo shortly, but like, you know, having Darwin Nunes there, it's a, he's a different player to Sadio Mane entirely, where it was kind of one-twos playing off, running in behind off the shoulder, whereas Nunes kind of, I know he does that a little bit, but he likes to get the ball and, and drive and, and kind of float into areas and, and then sort of carry the ball himself. Whereas, you know, these one-twos, I, I don't know if Cody Gakpo will 
you know, kind of more suit that kind of style where it's quick passing interchanging. So I think, that, I mean, Liverpool to strengthen in January at this point clearly shows their intentions. They're not going to um, give up the Champions League race without a fight. And I kind of, you, you kind of think that now that they're in this, it, it looked impressive at Aston Villa. I mean, Aston Villa beat Manchester United, didn't they, before the break? And, you know, it was a pretty, pretty comprehensive win, really, in the end. And, and Liverpool have gone there and, and won comfortably themselves. So it shows the, the trajectories of those teams. Yeah, I, I didn't think Villa played badly, to, to be perfectly yeah. honest. And Liverpool have gone there and, and won 3-1. I, I would say that's ominous for, for the teams above them at the moment. I, I think Liverpool, especially if they get this new arrival as well, I think they'll really start to motor in the second half of the season. Fulham and Brighton got away wins over Palace and Southampton respectively. And, and Dan, Southampton be very concerned if I was a Southampton fan. Very, very concerned indeed. I'm not convinced by the managerial appointment at all. I, I don't think it suits what, what they're trying to do. I, I don't think that's a marriage that will, will last long at all, but they've got serious danger written all over them. Absolutely, and I think um, the Athletics' Jacob Townswell wrote this uh, after the game that Brighton have kind of become the model of what Southampton once were, a South Coast club with really, really progressive recruitment, kind of showing them how it's done. I mean, Southampton... They've taken a very bold strategy this season where they have really, really, really invested in young players, but players, not necessarily players with a lot of game time behind them. There's a lot of players who we've barely really seen at senior level. You know, some players that people are very excited about, like uh, Samuel Adozi or, and uh, Romeo Lavia. There's a lot of um, a lot of hype around him, but he's not. he's been injured and hasn't really been able to feature much. But yeah, in the meantime there really isn't a great deal of quality for them to fall back on when it gets to these difficult periods. And they've obviously got a manager, a new manager in Nathan Jones, who's taken over this situation and doesn't have a great deal of experience at this level yet. So yeah, I think there's going to be more more tough times like this to come for them. Yeah, Laurie, when you've got difficult moments, sometimes you need a, a senior figure to turn to, someone with a bit of experience. And yes, James Ward-Prowse is the captain. He's been around a long time now, but even as Dan mentions in the, in the dugout with Nathan Jones, that there isn't that experience of, of being in a, in a battle. There's a lot of players in from abroad. There's a lot of young players who, like Dan says, haven't had much game time. They've kind of replaced the likes of Romeo, for example, with Lavia. And, you know, long term, that's very progressive. And I'm, I'm sure Lavia is going to be a fantastic player. But when he's not there, they don't have anyone to, to, to bring in now. And having someone like Romeo as an understudy probably would have helped in this situation. I just look at them and think they have got relegation written all over them because they've not got the experience of getting out of something like this. Yeah, well, I mean, I think signing younger players is good. The, the model that they're going for, right, is, is sign these players that, you know, take a bit of a chance on them, raise their value and we'll sell them for a profit and kind of keep going like that. But in the meantime, you need to get results. But as you touch on, I mean, Nathan Jones, I, I covered Stoke when he was uh, appointed there from, from Luton and I found him very compelling as a, as a character, um, certainly with his, his beliefs um, and, and the way he can convey himself. But the issue that he found then, it didn't last long at Stoke. It was a pretty dreadful um, rain for him. And the issue that I, I feel that he had there was he'd come from Luton again, you know, as the same as with, with Southampton. And he was trying the same things that he could work with those kind of calibre of players. Not, not, no disrespect, but it's a different kind of sphere when you're talking about Premier League players. You know, they, they kind of, they can easily chew up a manager that kind of, they start to think, okay, he's not, he's not at the level. And I think some of the, you know, methods that he was trying just weren't working with these kind of players that had been in the Premier League that were on, you know, a large amount of money per week that he hadn't been used to before. So I'm intrigued to see if he's learned from that experience and that he can develop here at Southampton and kind of adapt his methods a little bit or whether it's going to be the same story where, you know, ultimately they, they think he's he's not up to that level and it can be a ruthless business when you know, players and, and squads think that way. 
Yeah, and that arguably the biggest result yesterday was Wolves going to Everton and winning 2-1. Late, late goal from from Ait Nori getting Wolves the three points. Frank Lampard was calling for patience post-match, but you know that's now three defeats in a, in a row for them. Again, probably worrying times for the Everton fan base as well. That's a game where you look at it and think, there's got to be some form of game management. You cannot afford to lose that game. Sometimes you've got to cut your losses. If it's 1-1, just see the game out and, and take the point against a relegation rival. But they didn't Everton. They pushed on. They got caught on the break. And that's a huge win for both. Well, it's a huge result for both sides of that. Yeah, you're right. I think the manner of the way that the game was decided is is, is important. Like you, you can argue that how a goal scored doesn't necessarily matter, but the way that, as you say, Everton were pushing on and then left themselves so open on the counter-attack. Frank Lampard will call for patience, but you, you know there's not probably not going to be much from, from an Everton point of view. And I think there's there's a lot of sort of frustrations, you know, like they haven't been able to get Dominic Calvert-Lewin fit. He's not been fit for a very long time. And Neil Mopai is a signing that's kind of flattered to deceive thus far as an Everton striker. You're looking for sort of quality and Anthony Gordon's got a lot of talent and obviously there were the links to Chelsea in, uh, back in the summer, but again he's a young player you're asking a lot from it's yeah it's kind of quite what there's quite a lot of concerns for Everton and uh, you know they have to be they have to try and bounce back from this basically because the sort of ill feeling from losing that way at home if that rumbles on into a few more games could easily start to become a little bit toxic there as for Wolves I mean I believe it was five Premier League games without a win for this so for your first game under a new manager in Lopetegui to win that way, I mean, that's just that's just excellent for them. You know, Wolves do seem to be in a position where you know they're going to have to look to strengthen in January, and you know they gave they gave their fans a Christmas present by announcing that they were signing Mateus Cunha. It's the kind of signing that fits the sort of Wolves model. You know, players from Atletico Madrid, from Porto, from Sporting. It's the kind of market that they obviously shop in, given you know the, the links that they have to George Mendes and everyone else. But yeah, it's. Uh, they're probably going to have to look to strengthen more because that squad has sort of stagnated a bit over over the last few years and, and you were kind of looking around for inspiration and it wasn't really there. But yeah, hopefully for them that could be you know, something of a major turning point, you'd hope, because yeah, they're off to a good start under a new manager. So yeah, I'm sure they'll be delighted. So having looked at what happened on the pitches, the Premier League returned. Next, we're going to turn our attention to the upcoming January transfer window. else is winding down for Christmas, the Athletics Club podcast are firing back up over the festive period to celebrate the return of domestic football. Catch Talk of the Devils, Handbrake Off, The Phil Hay Show and all your favourite club shows. None of that World Cup nonsense is behind us. All are free to listen to, of course, on Apple, Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more.
Qatar for Netherlands, and Cody Gakpo has scored in every one of them. He is hot! Well, to the outside world, the transfer of Cody Gakpo to Liverpool comes as a pretty big surprise, but in truth, that's not strictly the case. They've been interested in him for quite some time. They're long-term admirers who have tracked his progress and appreciate his qualities. In recent days, behind the scenes, they were firmly in the mix. It just wasn't so public. Essentially, it boiled down to a three-horse race between themselves, Manchester United and Chelsea. Manchester United considered pressing ahead with a move for Gakpo. Their manager, Eric Ten Hag, is a big fan and they came close to signing him last summer. In the end, it was just Anthony who arrived at Old Trafford from Ajax. On this occasion, their priority is a more central striker if they're to recruit in January. And they view Gakpo primarily as a wide forward and therefore it did not advance. Similar situation down in London at Chelsea where they weighed up pursuing Gakpo as they look to strengthen throughout their team in the month ahead. However, it didn't go much further and that left the coast pretty much clear for Liverpool. They struck a deal on Boxing Day. That's when the negotiation was completed between Liverpool's sporting director, Julian Ward, who will leave at the end of the season but is continuing to work every day until then, and his opposite number at PSV Eindhoven, Marcel Brands, formerly of Everton, now the chief executive at the Eredivisie club. The deal, as we're being told, is worth up to 50 million euros, including add-ons. So give or take 40 to 50 million euros with an initial price of around 37 million pounds and it can build upwards from there. My understanding is that Gakpo will sign a five and a half year contract. So the half year being from now until the summer of 2023 and then the remainder from then until the summer of 2028. He was given permission to travel to England to undergo a medical and complete the formalities of this transaction. We think that will essentially happen on Tuesday. And that should wrap things up, adding to Jurgen Klopp's squad, a deal that the German manager, of course, would have been very keenly involved in with the backing of Liverpool's owners, Fenway Sports Group, which is interesting in its own right because, as we revealed on The Athletic some weeks back, they have put Liverpool up for sale. What we don't know is whether that will be a full sale, a partial sale or nothing at all in the end. But there was uncertainty over whether they would be willing to invest in Klopp's squad in the meantime. Well, those concerns appear to have been addressed. They clearly want to keep Liverpool as a competitive force. And this is a bit of a statement signing because Gakpo was highly coveted. He was admired by many clubs across the continent. Leeds United on deadline day last summer came closest to wrapping up his signature. They dispatched their sporting director, Victor Orta, over to Eindhoven with the express aim of bringing Gakpo back with him. It didn't happen on that occasion. And his stock has risen since. He has 35 goals and assists for club and country in this season so far. I watched him at the World Cup in Qatar, had the opportunity to speak to him on a couple of occasions. He seems a really exciting player, a really articulate speaker and good person, which is going to be important to Liverpool and the chemistry in that dressing room. 23 years old with a good injury records. So I think Liverpool will be very pleased. The Premier League will be excited. Liverpool's rivals may be fearing 
Um, but I'm intrigued to see how it goes. And Liverpool are doing one of the first pieces of business of this January 2023 window and perhaps one of the most high-profile bits we will see. Cody Gakpo to Liverpool is essentially a done deal. So, Laurie, like yourself, David Ornstein, no days after talking about Cody Gakpo there. Come a little bit from nowhere. I was walking out the ground yesterday and suddenly heard that, that Liverpool were going to get Cody Gakpo and was quite taken aback because I'd expected him to go to Manchester United, if, if I'm perfectly honest. I, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but that's a huge way to start January for Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, they're just so good at this, aren't they? Whatever you think about whether they should sign him or not, the fact that they go about their business quietly, quickly, away from the public gaze. We, as you say, the window's not actually even open yet. I mean, I remember this was kind of the situation with Virgil van Dijk, wasn't it? But they'd, they'd already trailed that a long time by uh, annoying Southampton in the summer and it was kind of always going to happen, I suppose, in the January. So this one came out of nowhere, really. And you just have to say credit to them for the way that they go about their business. Yeah, Man United were definitely considering him. I don't think it was ever as strong as talks um, with PSV. United was still kind of debating whether or not to kind of push the button on it because he's not quite the player that they need right now which is a centre forward you know they've got rid of Cristiano Ronaldo Ante Martial there's doubts about but Cody Backwell has played there for the Netherlands but he, I mean I saw him for PSV away at Ajax uh, and and he was effective off the left that was where he kept drifting that's where he started really he, you know putting a couple of really good crosses and, and one of the assists that way for Luke de Jong and so I know that's only one match but it kind of suggested to me that okay that's that's where he likes to play and that's where Marcus Rashford likes to play really that's where Jaden Sancho likes to play even though there's doubts about him at the moment with United and you know he's, he's off on his own um, fitness regime again Anthony Marshall likes to drift that way as well so you know was he the right player for United that being said they agreed personal terms with him last summer um, he was definitely part of the conversation this window as well Eric Ten Hag has shown that he, he can get players and, and kind of mould them into the way that he likes them to play so it wasn't necessarily that you know, if he hadn't played there before, really for for PSV, that you know Ten Hag would not have, have tried him there, and I think the scouting system as well were aligned on that. Um, I think they were kind of okay with it. Again, comes down to money. United are up for sale. Are the Glazers going to dip back into the credit facility that they've got that they've kind of dipped into quite a lot over the past few years before a new owner is found, or would they think that actually that enhances the value of the club? So let's go for it. I know Liverpool are in the same position with FSG, aren't they? And, and they kind of committed to it. But yeah, it's a really interesting move from Liverpool. I'd be fascinated to see where he fits in, how Jurgen Klopp sees him. But yeah, they've done this again. It's Darwin Nunes, isn't it? I mean, United had talks over him uh, last year and again, we're kind of deliberating whether or not to go for him. And in the end, Liverpool played a lot of money for him and people might still look at that transfer and say, OK, well, he's not actually proved his worth. They've overspent there. But I kind of feel like actually he's still young. He's still causing chaos. I mean, you, you were there at Villa Park yesterday. And, you know, you could see his kind of runs off the ball, right? Yeah. And and, and the, the things that he was doing were encouraging, I think, from a Liverpool perspective. And, and certainly if you put him in United's team right now, you kind of go, OK, that would he would fit there as the centre-forward. Um, albeit, as Dan was saying earlier, he, he kind of also likes to peel off to the left. And then uh, Luis Diaz as well, you know, they let Tottenham do all the running on that one last January. They kind of got the fee-agreed reporto and, and then snuck in at the last and said, OK, actually, we'll, we'll take him. And that gave them such a huge boost. I mean, I think Jurgen Klopp's on record, isn't he, is saying that that was the definitive signing for, for their success last season to give give them that sort of rocket fuel midway through the season. And clearly, they'll be looking at this one thinking the same again. Can Cody Capo fire us to whatever uh, sort of ambitions we've got uh, in this season? 
Yeah, I mean, Sadio Mane and Divock Origi left in, in the summer, Dan. Jota and Luis Diaz are currently injured. So Liverpool did need some, some attacking re- reinforcements. That They're light in numbers at the moment, bearing in mind the injuries and the players they lost in the summer transfer window. I think Gakpo could almost help Darwin, Darwin Nunez as, as well because it almost can make the, the Liverpool front three even more fluid because they can kind of interchange positions as well. That, that That's going to be really interesting to watch those two play together. It will, it will, and ultimately, you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna be an elite team, depth is just as important as anything else. I think Laurie went back to sort of the the impact that uh, Luis Diaz's arrival had at Liverpool last season, and back then, you know, they had Sadio Mane, they had Firmino, they had Salah, and they also had Luis Diaz. So it wasn't. Whereas now, with sort of the injuries and, and the players that they've lost, there's kind of a bit of a reliance on Darwin Nunes potentially to just keep playing at the moment, and there will be, there could have been when Luis Diaz is back from injury. Now they've got another sort of very, very exciting young talent that they can he can flit in and out he doesn't have to be necessarily out and out relied on he can just be eased in with a little bit less pressure and add and ultimately add some more some more depth to that to that team so yeah I think I think it's going to be you know I think there's, there's not going to be very many Liverpool fans who are going to be unexcited by the prospect of signing you know one of Europe's sort of exciting young forwards really are they I mean I was looking back at the numbers I think this season in 34 appearances and you know do have to caveat that this includes club and country and the Dutch Super Cup but yeah 18 goals and 15 assists in 34 appearances I mean that <laughs> I don't think anybody's really gonna gonna sniff at that um, and I think it just goes back to an important point about the way that transfers are, are framed really you know Laurie's spoken about Manchester United's interest in him but it always felt a bit fanciful that United would have kind of a free run at him after after the summer you know after after not you know opting to try and you know make a bid and and take things further in the summer it always felt a bit fanciful that they would just with Cristiano Ronaldo leaving you know they just go out there waltz in bring another forward in willy-nilly with a, with a player that sort of was his contract running down at PSV and putting up those kind of numbers it always felt it almost always felt realistic that there would be other clubs that would be interested and someone else might sort of steal a march and as it turns out and like they've become so good at doing that's Liverpool Laurie, we've spoken about Manchester United and, and what they need to do in January. And Eric Ten Hag spoke after the Carabao Cup tie with Burnley about needing to bring a striker in. But where where does that striker come from, Laurie? I'm imagining you know more than I do, but I just can't see where it's going to come from. Well, this is the debate. So this is why I sort of was leaning towards them eventually going for Gakpo because I don't know if the low-cost kind of experienced options at centre-forward are are there or of the right quality or because that's the alternative that the United are discussing and, and certainly scouts have been kind of looking at you know could we get I mean we've been here before with Man United you know Odin Agarlo was the, the kind of experienced low-cost option that they brought in under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer which you know he scored a few goals but it's it's it's, it's pretty poor if United do go and and go that route again albeit maybe it's a a more specialised time with, with the Glazers putting the club up for sale. But even if Gakpo wasn't quite what United needed at Man United, it does feel like they're always kind of just beaten to the punch. You know, like Julian Alvarez last January, Man City, you know, got him. And, and United were in the conversation for him, it seems. You know, I'm sure they would have scouted him. Um, but Man City went, no, OK, we'll, we'll take him now. And they've got a World Cup winner, you know, a starting World Cup winner on their hands right now for, for a very minimal fee. The Gakpo fee seems fairly... You know, modest really. When, as Dan says, look at those numbers that he's been producing, and then he's gone to a World Cup and, and scored three goals. Okay, he seems like sometimes he can be disconnected from games. He doesn't get loads of touches on the ball, but he does. He does have an impact when he's playing. When he gets the ball and he's you know that physical presence, and you kind of feel like he's still very young. Um, and, and thirty-seven million as an initial, uh, you know, pounds as an initial fee. 
and, and PSV, it was known that they kind of needed to sell. You know, they, they were open to selling. It was it wasn't like a you had, they had to you know force the door down to get him. So those kind of things, I'm kind of wondering when will we see United do that? Because the reason why they didn't get him in the summer was because the Anthony fee escalated to 100 million euro, and you know they ended up not going, you know, making the bid as Dan says um, for for Gakpo. Um, you know, for a player of Anthony's um, sort of background to be, you know, spending that much money on him, it, it seems like they're overpaying. And then, yeah, at the same time, Liverpool, who are in Champions League finals and are, have been vying for titles, can get a, a good deal. It seems to me, I, I'm really perplexed at how United approach these kind of things because I think if you keep, you know, losing out in these ways, okay, maybe this wasn't the one for them. But I, I'm, I'm still intrigued to see where they're going to go next. And, and there's not, I don't have loads of faith that they're out there. And, and they're going to be thinking smartly and, and kind of, okay, let's be cute about this and, and get somebody that other people are looking at, but we can act quicker and we can you know, use our contacts to get a better price. The other option is, yeah, an experienced centre forward, you know, that can perhaps be extracted for a lower fee. I've got a few ideas, but I, I kind of, I think it'd be a bit, you know, remiss of me to kind of just sort of throwing them out there now. I mean, the, the only one that I did write about in, in The Athletic in my my Boxing Day piece, which is now very much out of date in terms of talking about Cody Gakpo's <laughs> Man United's interest in him. Eric Maxim Chupamoting, who's at Bayern Munich, and I, I know he's perhaps going to sign a new contract there. You know, he's, he's 33, I think he's 34 soon. And yeah, he was also on the bench at Stoke. We mentioned Nathan Jones earlier, the, the Stoke connections keep coming back. But, you know, could could United go and get him? I, I saw him play for Bayern Munich against Werder Bremen on this trip that we went on to, to the World Cup and he, he looked good. You know, he looked like he could actually do a job but again it's not really the kind of signing that United want to be making to kind of push to the next level Yeah who else needs to be busy in the Premier League Dan I guess Arsenal Newcastle both in positions they maybe didn't expect to be is now the time for them to strengthen whilst they are doing so well yeah, I'd agree. I, th- I think striking when the iron's hot is, you know, I, I don't think you can uh, can downplay the significance of that. I mean, the Athletics Arsenal writers um, on Boxing Day were able to sort of um, put out a story that Arsenal had made a, a bid for Mikhailo Mudrik um, from Shakhtar Donetsk, which is uh, someone that's been linked for them to them for a very, very long time. But to actually now have sort of credible information that they are, you know, they have placed an offer for him and they are interested in signing him is, uh, you know, will probably be music to the ears of a lot of uh, a lot of Arsenal fans at this moment in time. I think um, Nick Miller, who was uh, Laurie Whitwell's sort of um, travel partner around the globe before the World Cup, has also sort of written a, a lovely piece sort of going into why is there so much hype over this guy. And yeah, he's, he's probably the kind of kind of player that's going to get Arsenal fans very excited if they do manage to get him. You know, he's, he's only young and he has, it's cliche, but he has very much seemed to have burst onto the scene in the Champions League particularly, whilst Shatter Donetsk were playing sort of against this backdrop of, well, this awful backdrop of war at war in their own country. Very play, pacey dribbler, very direct player um, who plays mostly off the left wing. Um, and it comes back to something I was saying earlier, you know, it's, it's about Liverpool. It's competition for places. Um, Arsenal sort of forwards may all be sort of performing to an excellent level at this moment in time but adding someone who's gonna for example just in the first instance gonna put a hell of a lot of pressure on Gabriel Martinelli um, who's only young himself is you know is is, a, is at this moment in time could kind of be the boost that goes that sort of makes the difference between potentially falling away in your title challenge to actually seeing it the whole way through yeah just on Mudrick uh, Laurie on, on the face of it we're, we're talking about Arsenal probably needing a striker because of the Jesus injury but Actually, the fact that he plays from the left could mean that Martinelli could act as that filling option up front because he's an unbelievable finisher as well. He's played some football up top. Maybe that would be what Arsenal look to do rather than actually getting in a designated striker. They bring in Mudrick and move Martinelli inside when Nketiah doesn't play. Is that Does that solve their problems in a way? Yeah, it's a really interesting thought. I hadn't considered that, actually. I, I suppose that would you know follow a theme of 
you know, Pep Guardiola would often find players just to fit in that centre forward role and they could interchange. And, you know, Mikel Arteta is very much a disciple of of that kind of uh, philosophy. Good players playing together that are vibrant that can kind of do go both ways it surely they could find a way that they can all work together and that that's an interesting combination that you mentioned there yeah i mean maybe i'm one of these people that is is guilty of of seeing uh, a few star performances from Mudrik and thinking okay yeah get him in uh, because he has looked phenomenal you know for Shakhtar you know the way that he can run in behind and and that then composure in those one-on-one situations um i, I think he's a really exciting player uh, it sounds like I've seen some reporting from from the guys and Adam Crafton as well, who obviously did the uh, the podcast that, that Dan was sort of reflecting on the away from home one, which is an incredible piece of um, audio. Um, and he's been writing about how much they would maybe sell him for. He sort of talked about 80, 90 million euro if he could get to that level, which is a, a lot of money. But you kind of do wonder if he is this this next star that could come through. Uh, like I say, I've only seen him in in, in parts, but every every time I've seen him, he's, he's done something pretty pretty wow on the pitch and you kind of think okay you know that you can pay a, pay a premium for that kind of player so if Arsenal get him then wow I mean yeah they really are in a good position finally there's five clubs with new managers who'll surely all want to be back you've got Potter at Chelsea Emery at Aston Villa De Zerbe at Brighton Lopetegui at Wolves and Nathan Jones at Southampton Dan and we've already spoke about Southampton's requirements and, and their need probably because they're, they're in big trouble I guess Potter at Chelsea is an interesting one. I think I think Villa will be very busy. Emery will definitely be back. Villa will bring in a wide player and a forward. I would expect, but Potter at Chelsea is an interesting one. I've not seen them linked with too many players. No, but I feel from that list, it's definitely the most you know the most fascinating one. Really, I mean, one of the one of the most sort of interesting aspects of that is is the link between Chelsea and Brighton. So. When Graham Potter was uh, was was sort of um, poached for, by Chelsea from Brighton, uh, Bright it was it feels like it's a big test of Brighton's model. You know they are sort of content that if they won't stand in sort of a player or manager's way if they uh, if they sort of get an opportunity that's too good to turn down, which is what Ch- the Chelsea job was for Graham Potter. But then they kind of have a lot of faith that their model will endure, and whoever they bring in, in this case obviously Roberto De Zerbi, things will roll on in much the same way. But one of with Chelsea under Todd Bowley, they've made a lot of effort to try and poach lots of different people to add to that football structure, um, to add to the sort of the decision makers at the top of the club. And they took, um, they took as long as, as well as taking Graham Potter, they took Brighton's head of recruitment, uh, head of recruitment, Paul Wynn Stanley. Um, and now I, I must check this. He has been, he's gone to Chelsea and is now the, his role is director of global talent and transfers. Um, so, you know, not only have they taken Graham Potter, they've taken sort of his transfer supremo for want of a better term as well. Um, and then, to roll on from that, the most interesting thing is one of the players that Chelsea have been heavily linked with uh, during the January transfer window is a young striker called Datro Fafana. He's a young uh, young player playing at Molde in uh, in uh, Norway, and he was also heavily linked with Brighton. So are they now kind of shopping in the same sort of talent pool? That's quite an interesting one, particularly with Brighton having been sort of the one of the Premier League sort of models of recruiting from sort of unorthodox areas uh, and players that maybe you haven't heard of before or players from clubs and, and markets that other Premier League players don't really or other Premier League clubs sorry don't really dip their toe into now you know is, is that something that now Chelsea are going to be doing so it's going to be really interesting to see what they do I mean it's, it's yeah it's complete sort of regime change there so again you'd hope that Graham Potter will be hoping that he can that he gets backed in the right way and that he can put his own stamp on things really. But yeah, and there's lot there's lots of other clubs there as well, you know. There's no kind of shortcut to, to getting a team playing your own way and bringing in players that you want rather than having to 
having to sort of spend time on the training ground trying to install your ideas into uh, into players that have been there for a long time and might be jaded or dejected for any reason. So it'd be interesting to see if these clubs are active because there's a lot of fear in the Premier League and I think if you're a Premier League manager and you're not sort of demanding signings in January and you kind of are told to sort of stick on with what you've got, then you could, you know, you could find yourself with your P45 in a few months, really. So, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see just how much business is done. Like, the transfer window does always seem to be driven by an element of jeopardy, I'd say, um, whether it's not necessarily sound business sense. So, yeah, I'm sure we'll see a lot more moves that we weren't expecting. Laurie, you got any thoughts on Chelsea? Yeah, I mean, obviously, David Ornstein, as you say, very busy person. Uh, on Christmas Eve, I think he, he published this story uh, about uh, Monaco's Benoit Badishile, um, a left-sided centre-back who they're in talks to sign uh, this January. So they they do feel like they are flexing their muscle. You know, Todd Bowley is certainly coming with an intention to sign up a lot of young talent around. I think that's their, as Dan's reflected on Brighton, that was what they went out to, to do, you know, sign these kind of emerging talents that kind of had perhaps weren't at the top level of, of what other clubs were looking at, but they could see the potential in them. And, and that seems to be what they're now sort of transposing onto Chelsea. Uh, let's see if it can actually work at a club with Champions League aspirations, because it's another level, isn't it, to kind of expect uh, play performances. And then I suppose in, in the summer, that Christopher and Kukun deal is still on, on the table. You, you expect that one to go through. Um, so, yeah, Chelsea, Todd Bowley, certainly getting out there and amongst it and, and making signs for Graham Potter, who I think will want to have players in that can play the way he wants his team to play. Because at the moment, I think it feels like, OK, they've got a huge squad, lots of depth, but some of the players perhaps aren't quite of the mode that he would like to, to play this you know kind of high-pressing, fast-fluid football. Laurie, Dan, thanks ever so much for joining me today on the 27th of December. I hope you have a good rest of the day and there's a couple of games on as well. Laurie, enjoy Old Trafford and yeah, Dan, have a good day watching the football. And for comprehensive coverage ahead of the January transfer window, along with our daily podcasts, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just a pound a month for the first 12 months. To take advantage of that offer, head to The Athletic dot com slash football pot the athletic